0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Words of Wisdom, a podcast series dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. My name is Jerry Weirwell, and it is my pleasure to be on this journey together with you to discover the powerful truths that God has revealed to those who desire to become wise and discerning. Proverbs 17.27 says, The one who holds back his words knows knowledge, and the one who has a cool spirit is a person of understanding. The first thing that we can take note of is that the proverb is not synonymous parallelism, but synthetic. We can tell this because the two lines don't convey the exact same thing, because in the second line, we don't see a simple variation in vocabulary and restatement of the first. While the person who knows knowledge, that is, has knowledge, and a person of understanding are synonymous expressions, the one who holds back his words and the one who has a cool spirit are not referring to the same thing. They are related, however, where the latter can be seen as the cause and the former is the effect. In other words, having a cool spirit can be seen as the means by which a person is unable to hold back his words. The context of the proverb seems to address a situation where the reader is in a circumstance where they're being provoked or could take offense at what is said. We can imagine a situation at school where a bully is mocking another student in order to make fun of them and make themselves look good. Or perhaps a situation on the job, where a person is accusing a coworker of failing to adequately perform job responsibilities, abide by company policies, or even saying that they are involved in wrongful behavior and activities. The type of circumstances where the reader could find themselves under some sort of provocation are abundant. Now, the first phrase of the proverb, the one who holds back his words, refers to a person who is able to restrain themselves in what they say. This includes not only being able to think through what to say before saying it, but also being able to censor and choose carefully what is said. We might say in our modern culture that the person who knows how to hold back their words knows when to bite their tongue. The point of holding back one's words can refer to remaining in silence and not responding verbally at all. And perhaps this is the better way to understand it in conjunction with its complementary proverb in verse 28. But the wisdom of the proverb applies equally well to whether or not a person responds with carefully selected words or the person decides it's best not to respond at all. The point of the proverb is that whoever does hold back his words in part or in whole, this person knows knowledge. This phrase, knows knowledge, is a descriptive way in Hebrew poetry to say that the person possesses knowledge. That means they're not dumb or ignorant. Their mental faculties are sharp and they are acutely aware of their circumstances and surroundings. That is, they know what's going on, and they can read the situation. In the book of Proverbs, the words knowledge, understanding, discernment, insightfulness, prudence, and wisdom are often used interchangeably, as can be seen in this way by the various types of parallelism in Proverbs where they occur. Moreover, a person with knowledge isn't just someone who knows a bunch of information— like historical facts or various types of literature, popular culture, or the best restaurants in town. In Proverbs, to have knowledge means to know what to do and how to live with the fear of Yahweh. This means a knowledgeable person may not have a formal education, be intellectual, or have what we might call street smarts. According to the proverb, the knowledgeable person is able to determine when and how they should restrain their speech. In our culture, we might call this sort of knowledgeable individual a person of few words. This expression can refer to a person who's not as chatty or talkative as others in in general, or someone who just doesn't have a lot to say in a conversation. The origin of the phrase has been traced back to the play King Henry V by William Shakespeare in 1599, where he wrote, He hath heard that men of few words are the best men. Thus, it seems that the expression has carried a positive nuance, even back to the 16th century, where to talk less is viewed in a positive light, like being considered a virtue. Now, let's look at the second half of the proverb. In the second line, the phrase, the one who has a cool spirit in the Hebrew text is just cool of spirit. Thus, the entire line literally reads, cool of spirit is a man of understanding. To make better sense of this punchy aphorism, the phrase cool of spirit can be taken as a genitive of specification, where the type of spirit is being specified by the attribute cool. To have a cool spirit was actually a well-known concept in ancient times, where even in Egyptian wisdom literature, they metaphorically used the ideas of hot and cool to describe distinct personality types. The person who is hot is one who is easily embroiled with emotion, is impulsive, and quick-tempered. The Egyptians refer to this type of person as a heated man. In contrast to being hot, a cool person is one who is patient and calm, not quickly irritated or swept up in emotion, but remains composed and collected, being more even-tempered. Proverbs exalts the one with a cool spirit as the ideal person who exercises self-control with wisdom in life. A person with a cool spirit is said to have understanding. This means they perceive the dangers involved in allowing their temperament and emotions to overpower them and negatively influence their choices or behaviors. Now, this doesn't mean that emotions and being passionate or intense are bad. Of course not. God created us to be emotional creatures and for emotions to rise up within us in accordance with different life experiences. However, what the proverb is getting at is the value and wisdom of having a cool spirit in the face of provocation. When the temptation arises and our emotions escalate in response to a verbal attack, uh, mocking, or other derision, we put ourselves in jeopardy of not being able to respond in a godly and righteous way if we let ourselves get carried away by the emotions and get all worked up inside. In our modern culture, we might say to have a cool spirit means to keep a cool head, and to have a hot spirit is to become hot-headed. The hot-headed person typically spouts off whatever comes to their mind, and oftentimes it is only afterward, when they have cooled off, do they realize that what they said and then usually end up regretting it because if they would have kept a cool head, they realize they would never have said those things to begin with. But the wise maintain control of themselves, thereby being able to deliberately act in a right way and to safeguard against inadvertently speaking something foolish. Also, it becomes increasingly difficult to think through what we're going to say if we are emotionally compromised because our brain changes the way it functions in response to those emotions and it reduces our ability to think rationally. When we become angry, frustrated, hurt, upset, or offended, our ability to think straight diminishes drastically. Therefore, if we tend to be a person with a hot spirit, and if we find ourselves getting upset or emotional, it could greatly help to pause for a moment, take a deep breath, and slow down. Nevertheless, we all need to learn how to help ourselves retain a cool spirit, because I'm sure that everyone can attest that they have experienced times in life when people just push their buttons and the emotions spike. Well, guess what? It won't be the last. The wisdom of the proverb is for us to foresee that we will encounter such experiences and to prepare and be capable to hold back our words and keep a cool spirit. In this way, we can live righteously before Yahweh, according to the knowledge and understanding of his will. In order to illustrate this proverb, I want to use two examples. The first comes from one of the presidents of the United States of America, Calvin Coolidge. Coolidge was the 30th president, serving in office from 1923 to 1929. He was renowned as being a man of few words, so much so that he earned the nickname, Silent Cal. There are many stories that have been retold over the years about Coolidge's brevity and manner of speaking. Many of these stories are anecdotal, and according to some sources, they contain part fiction and part fact. Nevertheless, they adequately capture the well-known quiet and reserved demeanor of Calvin Coolidge. One of the more famous stories recounts a time at a large dinner party when a bet was made between two men about whether Coolidge would say at least three words during the entire meal. As the end of the dinner party was drawing near, one of the men who had made the bet in favor of Coolidge speaking more than three words was sitting next to Coolidge. Desperate to win the bet, the man leaned over, and conveyed to Coolidge the plight he was in, in an effort to get Coolidge to say something. The man told Coolidge, My friend bet me ten dollars. You wouldn't say three words. But I bet you would. The man then waited, patiently, hoping to get a response out of Coolidge that would win him the bet. Coolidge was silent for a few moments, and then slowly turned towards the man and said, You lose. In another famous incident during his presidency, Calvin's wife, Grace, was unable to attend church one Sunday with Calvin, and so Coolidge went to church by himself. Upon returning home, Grace asked Calvin what the sermon was about that morning. Coolidge answered with a single word, sin. Grace then immediately inquired, but what did he say about it? Coolidge calmly responded with, he was against it. Lastly, one time at a particular White House press conference, News reporters were firing questions at Coolidge, and he answered each one in his typical laconic style like this. Oh, Mr. President, have you anything to say about Prohibition? No. Have you anything to say about the World Court? No. About the farm situation? No. About the forthcoming senatorial campaign? No. Then as the reporters were getting up to leave the room, Coolidge called out and said, And don't quote me. The second example I want to share with you comes from the life of one of the most famous English evangelists in the 18th century, George Whitefield. Whitefield was a powerful preacher and a master orator. It is said that he preached over 18,000 sermons to 10 million people over the course of his life. In 1739, Whitefield left England and traveled to America to do a preaching tour throughout the American colonies. However, this was not Whitfield's first visit to America, as he had visited Georgia the year before, but had returned home to England. And so Whitfield's first stop on the preaching tour was Philadelphia, the most cosmopolitan city at the time in the New World. In Philadelphia, a crowd of over 8,000 people came to see him. There was no venue at that time that could hold a crowd of that size. So Whitfield moved everybody outdoors. He often had to do this in towns in which he preached because of the incredible record breaking audiences that would come to hear him speak. But with all this popularity and the great effect he was having in preaching to the masses, it naturally came with people criticizing and attacking him. Whitfield received countless letters of criticism, hateful words, and threats. As optimistic and driven to preach as Whitfield was, nevertheless, the letters brought discouragement to him. Whitfield was also in the habit of responding to people who wrote to him, but he learned the best manner with which to respond to all the negative remarks from his critics was with brief, simple honesty. On one occasion, after receiving a letter where he was personally attacked and brutally criticized by a peer, being vilified and called everything but a preacher, he wrote this simple reply, "'I thank you heartily for your letter.' As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you'll ever say about me. With love in Christ, George Whitfield. You see, what Coolidge and Whitfield both understood very well was the power of carefully chosen words. They both knew that it was not helpful to speak or write unnecessarily, and that many times, if not most often, a few words are sufficient. Wisdom tells us that we should be careful in how many words we use and when we use them, and that in response to being provoked, less words is often better and can keep us from saying things we would later regret. And moreover, keeping a cool spirit is essential so that we can think clearly about what we should say before we say it, rather than responding out of heated emotions. Matthew chapter 12 in verses 36 and 37, it says, I tell you. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Therefore, let's remember this wisdom as it relates to what we say, and know when to hold back our words. Thanks so much for listening to the Truth or Tradition podcast. We hope you're enjoying this new series on the words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And for more biblical resources, you can visit our website, truthortradition.com. And there you can subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of the future resources that we post.